Go ahead, go ahead and have your seats. Go ahead and have your seats. It, it, feels, it just feels so, so wrong now that I, I, I was standing there just listening to the scripture reading, and I'm like, I, I'm so wrong for, for having uh, a, a little kid like that read about Jesus changing water into wine. Um, <laughs> but, but on the other hand, it, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> It, 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 it was Chuck. It was, it was, it was. <laughs> oh, goodness. Guys, I, I just want to say really quickly, uh, you know, this, this week uh, represents uh, different things. Uh, we, ha- we have a number of individuals that are out on, on trips. Uh, we begin our Greater Together series this evening, and I, I pray, hope, and trust that uh, we'll have a great turnout there and have a wonderful time as we spend the next four Sunday evenings together just moving throughout this, this area. But then also, on our midweek series, let's go deeper. We've, we've just been having a blast, and I, I really just want to say, especially for those individuals who are watching online and who haven't been able to attend uh, I know we've only been able to upload one of those, uh, one of those evenings th- thus far. We do have recordings of the other two, and so it has to be edited. The sound is not all that good, but we're doing our best to make sure that we could put out the best possible product that we can so that individuals who are not able to make it, uh, they could view it and enjoy the, the, the lesson. But I just want to say, I just want to say this. In as much as viewing online is going to help, and you could gain a lot of encouragement from looking at these messages online, it's something to be said about being there in the room. And so I want to encourage every single person, if you have yet to step foot on Wednesday nights to be a part of our Let's Go Deeper series, I want to encourage you to take time and make that time to be there this coming Wednesday, as we've seen already, we will have our Brother Vaughn who will be presenting our message. We're going to have a time of worship, a time of praise, and of course, we're going to be blessed by the word. So come out and let's be a part of that and be encouraged as well. I want to beg your attention into the book of John chapter 2. John chapter 2 is going to present for us a unique scene and scenario uh, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And as, as, as you turn there, this is John chapter number 2. Our entire context really is, uh, is, is taken from verses 1 through 11. I'm, I'm going to leave that up to you to just read that uh, in, in, you know, while I speak and in between the, the, the lesson and so forth. But the entire context of, of this marriage feast or this marriage scene in this place called Cana is actually found from verses 1 through verse 11 of John chapter number 2. And as we think about what we are about to look at on this morning, I just want to share with us, uh, as we think about the Gospels, the Gospels in and of themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they paint for us a, a really amazing revelation concerning Jesus' mission, his motivation, and his mind while he was on the earth. As you, as you put all of the Gospels together, they present to us a very vivid representation of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Dare I even say that every single believer ought to spend time understanding and appreciating the Gospels if we are to, to see our Lord, if we are to appreciate the message 
as well as the ministry of our Lord. It's one thing to view what he said. It's a next thing to see how he lived. And so for that, we are able to go to the Gospels to appreciate not just his message, but also his ministry. But what I don't want us to do as I say that is I, I don't want us to fall, fall into the same category of some individuals who believe, well, because we are now New Testament Christians, we, we don't have to have a good, healthy respect and relationship with the Old Testament because we're no longer a part of that. You, you guys have heard me said before, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, while the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The only way we could really fully appreciate and embrace the riches that we find in the New Testament is by appreciating and understanding what we see in the Old. The Old Testament provides for us some history. The Old Testament provides for us many instances and occasions of learning as we see the people of God, the Israelites, go through their ebbs and flows, their highs and their lows in their journey with God. There are things we could learn as we look through the annals of the Old Testament. Let's also not be like individuals who, who make the bold claim. If, if you don't know, I'm, I'm just sharing this with you. There are a lot of individuals in the Christian world today that don't believe and don't hold the epistles. To, they don't believe the epistles to have as much weight as the gospels themselves. And the claim that they make is that well, in the Gospels, we actually have Jesus doing most, if not all, of the speaking. Whereas in the epistles, that's just these individuals, these followers, these disciples after Jesus left the earth. That, that was them just sharing their views. And if you hold to that view, again, you, you would miss out on a lot of revelation, a lot of teaching, a lot of doctrine that, that these apostles and these writers would have shared to the people of God via the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so for us, I want us to conclude that, that all of Scripture, could you say all? All of Scripture is absolutely essential and vital for the holistic growth and understanding of the man and woman of God. And so I want us to appreciate as we, as we, as we look at these several Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of these gospel writers, and in their account, they showcase some very unique things about Jesus and his ministry. For example, the gospel of Matthew would present Jesus as the promised Messiah. Mark, in his gospel, would present Jesus as the suffering servant. If you read, and when you read the, the Gospel of Luke, it presents Jesus as the Son of Man, a title which we find coming out of the book of Daniel, chapter 7, and about verse number 13. But of course, where our text is taken from, John chapter number 2, the Gospel of John presents Jesus and showcases Jesus in the light of him being the Son of God, 100% man, but at the same time, 100% percent God. John would present Jesus as deity. So when we read Matthew, 
Matthew, we would hear the Messiah telling of his coming kingdom. When we read Mark, we, we hear the humble servant expressing his great love for, for those he have come or came to serve. When we read Luke, we hear a man who lived a sinless life in perfect submission to the Father's will. And when we read John, we hear God speak of his great love for all the world and all the riches of the glory that are given to his people. So as we think about where our text falls, I need for us to recognize where our text and why this text is, is so important and valuable within the confines of the gospel writing of John itself. John tells us uh, in John chapter number 20 and verse number 30 and 31 why he wrote what he wrote. He says many signs and, and many wonders did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples which aren't written in this particular writing. But what he wrote, he wrote so that individuals would believe that Jesus is indeed the Christ and he is indeed, he would conclude, the Son of God. So within the confines of the Gospel of John, we have the seven I am statements of Jesus Christ. Also, not only do we find the seven I am statements of Jesus Christ, but John carefully records seven specific signs, seven specific wonders that Jesus would have performed, and he does so to to, to create an atmosphere and to build on a theology and on a teaching. If the seven I am's are about showcasing the deity of Jesus, then the seven signs are about showcasing Jesus' dependability. If the seven I am's point to the identity of Jesus as the Son of God, then the seven signs point to his integrity as the Son of God. He is not just given the title of Christ, for there are many people in the past and even many people today who claim to be Christ, but John is identifying these things about Jesus, not just to showcase him as any old Christ, but the credible, compassionate Christ. Many have claimed to be Christ, and all have come short, but there is but one Christ. There is only one Jesus. And so as Jesus, uh, uh, sorry, as John identifies these seven signs, he, he wants the readers to understand and to know that only Jesus could have healed the royal official's son. Only Jesus could have healed the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. Only Jesus could have fed the multitude of 5,000 people. Only Jesus' church could have walked on water. Only Jesus could have healed a man born blind. Only Jesus could have risen Lazarus from the dead. Not just dead, but remember this, the dead dead. Only Jesus, as we find ourselves in our text, could have ultimately turned the water into wine. If these signs are in fact miracles with a deeper spiritual meaning, then there is something about this situation that we find in John chapter number 2 that is of the utmost value and importance to each 
and every single one of us. So let me just make a disclaimer right there before we go into our text, and I, I highlight some things. Uh, let me just make a disclaimer right there. This, this text is, is not to be used as evidence or uh, as some type of platform for us to indulge in debauchery behavior. Uh, that, that, I haven't used debauchery in quite a while. <laughs> that is to say you cannot use, and I, I just want to make this disclaimer right here. Let's not think that this text is a license to get drunk. That's not what this text is about. I need for us to appreciate that culturally speaking, the, the children of Israel, as many people in the ancient world would have, they would have engaged in the drinking of, of wine. Uh, but far beyond a cultural thing, I need for us to understand that when it comes to scripture, the issue is not putting some sort of alcoholic beverage to your mouth. The issue is drunkenness. And I need for us to understand when it comes to drunkenness, this is a complex issue. Some people will get drunk after two glasses of wine. Some people, because they aren't able to hold uh, any type of intoxicating drink, they will take a shot glass and they will start to stagger and fall. So this is not a license to say, well, Jesus endorsed drinking. It's one thing to drink or consume. It's a next thing to become drunk and intoxicated. You guys with me? All right, so let's, let's just be fair. Let's be fair when it comes to the text. So it's not as if to say anything that is alcoholic that touches these lips turns you or a potential individual into a sinner. The, the, the problem is going to be is the alcohol or this beverage controlling you and you not controlling it. So again, I just want to make this disclaimer. You, you, you guys with me? I just want to make this disclaimer. This text, church, does not give license for, for us to, to, to engage in the act of drunkenness. And I need to be absolutely clear when it comes to that. So, but there are some things that we find in this text that I believe is of the utmost importance and valuable to each and every single one of us. There are three things I want us to notice in this text, and hopefully the message would be yours. You guys need to put that time back up on top there because I, I, I can't see my watch too well. And when I get excited and my, my eyes become full, I can't watch my watch. I don't even know what the time is right now. Put that, put that time up in the back there, please. <laughs> there are three things in this text I want us to identify and to see as we approach the reality of what's going on. Number one, I want us to see that there is a major problem. Say problem. Number two, I want us to see the Messiah's power is going to be on display. Say power. But also, I want us to see that there is a prospect for man that we find right here within the confines of the scripture. So that's a major problem, the Messiah's power and man's prospect. If you don't mind, I want to speak to you from a subject I have entitled on this morning, How Great... How great the Father's love for us. How great the Father's love for us. Let's look at the problem. In this text, we find that Jesus and his family, his disciples, have, have been invited to a, a marriage feast. And 
If you just do some, some basic reading on traditional uh, Jewish culture and history, customs and manners, you, you'd recognize that a marriage feast could have lasted for several days up to about a week. The grander and the bigger the feast, it, it was often an indication of a person's physical uh, and, 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 and financial wealth. And so here it is, Jesus and uh, his mother, Jesus and his disciples have found themselves within the confines of this feast. And early on in the text, the scripture would tell us almost immediately the problem happens that the wine has run up. Now, I need for us to understand as we look at this text, there, there, there is the foreground and the background. In, in the background, those people who are behind the curtain understand that there is no more wine to pour out into the glasses to those people who are out on the dance floor. So the people who are out on the dance floor, the people who are out, and, uh, 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 out there behind, uh, outside of the kitchen, outside of the storage rooms, the people who are enjoying themselves, the, 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 the couple and their family, all the invitees, they don't have a clue as to what's taking place behind the curtain. They don't have a clue as to what's taking place behind the door. Behind the door there is chaos. But the people who are invited, they don't understand, they don't know What's taking place? Many of them at this point would have been still sipping on their cups of wine and, and having a good time. I don't know about you. Have, have you ever gone to, to somebody's home or have you ever gone to some type of gathering where, you know, everybody's standing up there and you're having this moment of mixing and, you know, you might be standing there and you're talking and you're laughing and you're happy and ever so often you might take a sip. So you don't necessarily guzzle your drink. That's the point I'm trying to make. You, you, you sip your drink. And as you sip your drink, do we have guzzlers here? You, you guys kind of looked at me funny when I said we don't guzzle. But the, the cultured thing to do, let, let me put it this way. You don't guzzle your drink. You sip and you talk. Ginger ale. You, 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 you sip and you, you sip on your apple juice. You, 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 you sip on your, your, your sparkling water, all right? You sip and you speak. So there is a scene and a, a, there, there's a situation that's happening here that we don't, the text doesn't necessarily point out, but we need to see it. While there is chaos that's happening in the background, there is still some rejoicing and some, 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 some joy taking place in the foreground. So the wine hasn't necessarily run out for those people who are out on the ground having a good time. But in order for them to get a refill, the wine for that is no more. So we have the wine, and as we think about the problem, the problem with this is that the wine running out would have represented and brought about great shame and disgrace to the couple and their family. So what Jesus does, if we think about it really quickly off of the context, what Jesus does as he, he humors his mother's request is he takes away the potential shame and disgrace from the couple and their family. They don't have a clue what's taking place, but other people know. So the problem that we have is that the wine has run out, but here comes Jesus' mother. Do not ask me why. For the love of me, as I've tried to research this, I, I don't know exactly how or why Mary would have been privy to this type of information. 
Because the tradition would dictate that when it is you, 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 you have a, a marriage feast of this magnitude, you would have a master, so to speak, of ceremonies who would be on the outside and he would be the one to almost bring the, 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 the crowd to life. And so if the crowd was getting too dull, the master of ceremony would get up and he would do something or say something to keep the crowd going. But then in the kitchen, you'd also have somebody that was delegated to make sure that everything was going well. The food was coming out when it was supposed to come out. The, the drinks were coming out when it was supposed to come out. You had a manager to organize and to orchestrate those things. So the only thing I'm left to conclude is that somewhere along the line, either one of two things would have taken place. Mary was so close to this family that she had first-hand knowledge being in the background of what was taking place. Or number two, the situation became so frantic and, and Mary's ears were so poked up to what was taking place that she just heard a whisper that there was a lack in the wine and she recognized immediately, well, okay, even though the wine is no more, I know somebody who could help deal with the situation. Don't ask me why she comes to Jesus other than me recognizing the fact that Jesus does have the capacity and she knows her son. He is not just a son of hers, but he's the son of God. She knows her son well enough to understand that he has a power, the likes of which she has not been able to fully witness and appreciate just yet. So she, she, she comes to Jesus and she tells Jesus, listen, all their wine is gone. Jesus understands, of course, the, the culture and the day and the time. He understands that this represents disgrace. He understands that this represents shame. And he also understands what wine represents. As I did some reading, I, I came to understand in the ancient world and even among the Jews, wine was a symbol of happiness and joy. If this miracle represented something of a, a, a deeper spiritual meaning, then there is something to be said about this physical wine running out. And so wine was a symbol of happiness and joy. Church, are there times in our lives when our happiness and our joy diminishes? Wine was a symbol of transformation. The grape goes in as one thing and comes out as something totally different. Wine also was a symbol of sustenance and life. At this particular point in time, there was nothing that anyone could have done to change the situation that they were in. There was only one person in the entire midst of the assembly, who could affect the type of change that was needed? You guys hearing me? If this was a sign and a miracle that was meant to show forth a deeper spiritual meaning, then this wine running out is indicative of something that happens and transpires in the life of every human being. There are things that we have no control over that is geared to bring shame and disgrace, but God doesn't want to bring shame and disgrace. He is poised and he is positioned to remove that shame and take that disgrace 
from our lives. It's, it's, it's the thing called sin. Sin has this ability, if, if I have to be more explicit, sin has the ability to bring shame. Sin has the ability to bring disgrace. Sin has the ability to separate us between us and our God. But Jesus is positioned and he is poised to take care of the sin in our lives. For all the weakness and the frailties that human beings have, we have to recognize that there is nothing that we could do on our earthly own. There is nothing that we could do on our own strength to change our situation and our spiritual circumstance. That has to pass through and that has to come by Jesus Christ. So like father, like son, Jesus was not willing to allow this family, nor is he willing to leave anybody laden in sin, to be consumed by shame, disgrace, disfellowship, and separation. He chose to hide and remove the shame. And same, same thing for us today, he chooses to remove the shame that sin brings in our lives as well. Do you notice what, what Mary said to the servants in verse number 5? Notice she said to the servants, even after Jesus, and there's a lot of things we could say about the way that he, he kind of responds to her, woman, what have I to do with thee? I, I, I could tell you, if, 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 if you want to play, you have power, go and tell your mother, call your mother woman. <laughs> let, let, let us say something, and say, who, who are you talking to, woman? Bow. You, 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 I, I would have been waking up to smelling salts. But, but that's what we think when we think about the way this is kind of translated. But it's, I, I need for us to see that it's, it's almost a, a type of playful connotation that's, that's also there. there. There are times, for example, when I'm, when I'm speaking to my mom, even though I really don't call her by, by, by the title mom, I call her by her name, but, but there are times when I playfully and, and, and intimately when we have some dialogue, I'll say, woman, what are you really talking about? And I, I, I don't mean it in, in a disrespectful way. I'm saying it in a, in, a, in a type of playful, endearing way. When I'm talking to Sherry Ann, sometimes she's my wife and she might, she might command me to do something. Wives do command <laughs> Husbands to do things more often than you would believe. And I would say, woman, what have I to do? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it in a degrading way. I'm, I'm saying it in a, in a playful type of way. And so if you want to look at this from the standpoint of Jesus being disrespectful, I want you to know that Jesus was not being disrespectful because everything about Jesus was sinless. There was no guile, no deceit, no malice, no anything of, of that sort that was found in his mouth or even that came from his heart. So it's not that Jesus was being disrespectful. I need for you to see this in a, in a different tone and a different light. He, he's like, what is it? What do you expect me to really do about this, lady? Am I not an invited guest as well? And, and so he doesn't say anything after that. All she says is whatever he says to you to do, do it. Church, if you want the type of change that is promising, if you recognize that you need change and, uh, and you want the type of change to, to help you become a more holistic person, to help you become a more mature person, to help you become the type of person that God is well pleased with, then I, I advise you to follow the, 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 the instructions that Mary gives to his servants in that whatever Jesus says to do, do. 
For those individuals who believe that this is a text that gives somebody the, 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 uh, the opportunity and the ability to, to go drinking, I'm saying this. If, 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 if you're looking at this text to say, well, okay, Jesus, Jesus made, made wine, then don't just look at Jesus making wine. You do real, realize that Jesus, Jesus also came to church. So don't just take one thing and not take the others as well. And so here it is, we find this situation where, where Jesus does just like his father in the book of Genesis. I'm not seeing that time going up. In the book of Genesis, chapter number three, after Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden. I want you to see that like father, like son. After Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, after both had eaten of the forbidden fruit, the, 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 the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the scripture said, and all of a sudden now their eyes were open and they both knew that they were naked and they went and they hid themselves. Not only did they hid themselves, this is Genesis chapter number three now, but they went and they sowed themselves fig leaves to make clothing. But God recognized that this was not good enough to, to cover them. And so he said, do away with that and I will make you clothed from the hides of animals. That was God taking over and covering their shame. At best, our salvation is as good as fig leaves. But God knows the only thing that could really cover us is what is only comes through sacrifice. So here it is. Here it is in Genesis chapter number, Genesis chapter number 3. We see God covering, covering the sin and the shame of Adam and Eve. But also remember, remember in, in, in the prodigal son analogy. And I know we often run to the prodigal son, but this, this is really a, 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 an analogy about a, a loving, forgiving father. This is, this is Luke chapter number 15 now. And, and you remember he had this younger son that pretty much disrespected his father in, in, in as much as he said, listen, give me my inheritance now. And, and the father, and if you have to see this, when you talk about a father's love, and first to understand that sometimes a father's love, not just a father, but parental love, but today's Father's Day, so let me just stick this, stick this right in. A father's love needs to be at times, number one, tough. Tough enough to be willing to let your children go. So he comes to his dad, dad, give me my inheritance. He says, okay, um, who knows? He may have pleaded with him for a long time, but the point is he gave him his inheritance. He takes up his money and he goes to what the scripture, what Luke's defined for us as a far country. It's indicative of the fact that he now went among the Gentile people and, and he wasted, the scripture said, all that he had with, with wayward and worldly living. Wine and woman. You name it. He wasted what was given to him. And the scripture says, uh, one day after a huge famine came, he found himself attached to a man who had pigs. And while in the pig pen, he got a spiritual slap in the face. And he came to the conclusion, what am I doing here? I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to say to him, father, I, I, I'm not worthy to be considered your son anymore. Make me as one of your hired servants. And the scripture would tell us, if you continue reading that account of the prodigal son, that on the way while he was making his way back his father saw him from afar 
off. And I, I, I'm sorry I didn't come prepared to do this. I, I would have worn appropriate clothing, but, but, but the father took off from the house. And if you know anything about, about antiquity, if you know anything about the culture, it was a shame not only for a father to be running in the streets or an older man to be running in the streets, but it was a shame for him to lift up his clothes in so doing. So the father takes off, bringing shame unto himself to cover the shame of the coming son. I'm just trying to help us to see like father, like son. The Jews had a practice that whenever a wayward child would have left and lived among the Gentiles and they make their way back. I'm trying to remember if I can remember how to enunciate and pronounce this word. The word is called kezaza. And so really what it was is it was a means or a ritual of sorts, a tradition that whenever a wayward child would come back home, they would break pots and they would break plates as the child makes his way back in front of the child, break the pot and they would shout, kazaza, 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 which means cut off, cut off, cut off. If you, if, if you used to watch uh, Game of Thrones, it, it would almost be the equivalent of saying shame, 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 shame. But the father, before the kazaza could take place, he runs out, he lifts his leg and he lifts his clothes, taking on the shame unto himself so that the son doesn't have to. I'm trying to help us to see like father, like son. So in John chapter number 2, we encounter the problem. The problem is that the wine is running out, and if the wine runs out, it has the potential to bring shame and disgrace. But here comes Jesus in true Son of God fashion. He takes on the shame, and he deals with it. But secondly, not only do we see this problem, but I want us to recognize the power that the Messiah holds. Water and wine church. It's two totally different things. If you were to break down wine, you would, of course, find some H2O in there. But you will not find wine in water. Water and wine. I don't care if it's clear wine. Water and wine, it's two totally different separate things. I don't care what scientists say, if you drink a case of water, you will still have the ability to drive. Maybe not for very long, but you could still drive. <laughs> you can't do the same with a case of alcoholic beverage. Water and wine are two distinct things. And it showcases the point that Jesus as we talk about power, has the ability that he can take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. He can take a mess, church, and make it into a message. He can take any test and turn it into our testimony. He can take nothing and make it into something. He can take our shame, and turn it into a shout. I'm trying to help us to recognize that as we look at this, he could take a sinner like you and me and turn us into a saint. That's what the water and the wine represent. It represents Jesus' power to change us from the ordinary to the 
extraordinary. So we live an ordinary life, but with Jesus, he takes an ordinary life and turns, turns it into an extraordinary one. He takes a life that is lifeless, a, a life that is hopeless, and he gives it vivor, vim, and energy. He takes a person who was destined for a devil's hell. Not that hell was ever created for, for man, but he takes individuals who are destined for a devil's hell and puts them on a path that leads right to the throne room of his. So we not only find the problem, we also see the power. But if you don't mind, I want to end my sermon this morning in showing the prospect. Here is the prospect. In this particular scenario, we see and we recognize that change is ultimately inevitable. When I met Sherry and many, many Many years ago. I met Sherry Ann 13 years ago, but we've been married 12. So you, you work the math on how long it took for us to get married. When I met Sherry Ann, her favorite statement was this. Change is the most consistent thing in life. And that just stuck with me. And in as much as change is the most consistent Thing in life, I need for us to understand and appreciate that sometimes that change could impact and affect us negatively. But I think the prospect of what we see in this text, as we go through the, the, the context, we recognize that after Jesus turns this water into wine, and there's a lot of preaching between there from the time they fill the six water pots with water, somewhere between the filling, the dipping, and the, the master of ceremonies drinking somewhere between there, that water turned from good old water, H2O, to wine. But notice in, in the context, the master of ceremonies, he makes a declaration. And he, I'm sorry, guys. I, I talk too much about this. You guys would swear I, I had, you know, a, a kind of life. And I did. I, I had a colorful life. I'll tell you. I had a colorful life growing up. I, I told you, if, probably if you knew me some years ago before I became a Christian, you probably wouldn't want me to be your preacher now, but thank be to God for Jesus that he could take a nobody and turn them into us. All right, all right. The wine was so good. I need for you guys to see this. The wine was so good that when the master of ceremonies tasted the wine, three days have gone already in the marriage feast. So they've been drinking, they, they've been having a time, they've, they've been having a good time, but when this man, this master of ceremonies tasted this wine, he calls attention, he, 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 he knocks his chalice, he, he blows a trumpet, he calls attention to everybody. Remember what I said, whenever, whenever there was something to be said, the master of ceremonies, he would call everybody's attention. He calls everybody's attention. He says, hear what? You guys, quiet down, quiet down, quiet down. I have something to declare. He said, I, I know how this works. I, I've been to weddings before. I know, I know how we operate. We give the good wine first. And when everybody has been well drunken, we bring out, we bring out the, the, the not so good, the bad wine. He said, but listen, this man here, he gives credit to, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the bride and groom. He says, this man here, he said, this man is the best because, listen, this what I just drank, it's the best I've ever tasted. 
I know some of us have had good lives before we met Jesus, but if, we, if we're honest, I'm telling you, tell the truth and shame the devil. If we're honest with ourselves, it doesn't matter how good our lives were before Jesus, when we encountered Jesus, our lives went from not just being good to better, but the lives that we live in Jesus Christ is for the best. So here's the prospect, and I'll leave this with you. I'm done. Can we stand? I'm done. I'm done. Here's the prospect I want to leave with you. I'm done. I'm done. Let's all stand. Jesus, as he presents the this wine, this, not just good wine, but the best wine. I need for us to conclude that this is a prospect of a transformed life. One where there is no shame. One where there is no lack. One where there is no disgrace. He, he, he looks at us in our weakness and our frailties, and he shows us that I have the capacity to take care of all of your needs, physical needs. I could take care of those. How many people had, some, had more money than money at one point in time and God showed up? I could take care of your physical needs. I could take care of your emotional needs. How many people had broken hearts and God swooped in and filled that thing up? I'm telling you, he's able to take care of your emotional needs. I know we all have some mental needs from time to time. Could I be honest? Joe David, make your way up. I'm done. Could I be honest? Not as if I wasn't being honest before, but you know what I mean. Could I, be, could I be transparent? Even preachers need some, some mental health time. <laughs> I've been running so hard and running myself so ragged. I, I, you know, I felt like what was going on, what was going on. And I, I had to take a few days. That's why I wasn't here really last week. I, I, I went to a preacher's conference. And let me tell you, it just blew my mind. Because when I was running low on some mental wine, here comes Jesus and he filled me. Right up. I could preach now for, for five years, not saying that I, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to that conference next year, Lord's willing, just so that you guys know. But, 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 but the point is, when we're at our weakest, he's able to come in and he's able to transform. He's able to take little and to make it much. The message in the wine is this, that Jesus can be and he is everything that we need. You guys get that? Because if you do, I'm done. I want to encourage you, as Andrew said before, as we take this moment of prayer, if you have somebody here, here that's your, 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 your church father, I want you to get up out of your seats and you go and stand with that person and pray with that person. If you don't have a church father here, if there is some, some male figure, some father figure here, I just want to encourage everybody to just get up out of their seats for a little bit. Let's not do it to, to disturb, but you know, just get up and go by a father. Go by somebody who is a male, somebody who you know has helped taken care of kids. And I want you, the church, I want us to be able to pray for and with each other. God knows we need more good fathers. We have the ultimate example in him. We have a good example in his son. But we need some really good earthly fathers in the day and time that we live in today. So I want to encourage us to, to let's pray together as together we sing this song of encouragement.